Hi, I'm Leslie Ludy, host of the Set Apart Podcast, biblical encouragement for women of all ages. We are diving into a new series on navigating modern Christianity, and this week I want to tackle the question, what is missing in modern Christianity? Now, that's definitely a loaded question, but there's one essential truth that I really want to explore and unpack today that I believe is the missing ingredient to Christianity today as we know it compared to Christianity that we see in the Bible and throughout history. Before we jump in, I wanted to remind you that there are a few weeks left to get the early bird pricing on our 2024 Set Apart Conference. That's happening June 7th through 9th in Colorado, or you can join us anywhere via simulcast. Our theme this year is He Is, Experiencing the Extraordinary Reality of Jesus. And I am so excited to unpack just the beauty, the majesty of all Jesus's and who He wants to be in our everyday lives. It's a very special weekend, so I hope you can join us either in Colorado or online. And just go to setapart.org for more information, or you can click the link in this podcast description. We also have discounts for groups of two or more, so this is a great opportunity to come with a mom, a sister, a group of friends. So let's talk about what is missing from modern Christianity today. At Ellerslie, we call it the majesty. Another way to say it is Irish elk Christianity. Eric always talks about this extinct elk, which was like so much bigger than any normal elk we would see today and had this huge rack of antlers, just this majestic creature that is no longer alive, but there are rare sightings that are still reported. And so that's kind of how we look at modern Christianity. It's it's smaller and not as powerful as what God intended it to be, but every so often there are rare sightings of the real thing. And we believe that God wants to bring back the power and the victory of the Christianity that we see in the Bible and the Christianity that we see in history to the modern church today. And that's a lot of what we teach at Ellerslie. When you look around at modern Christianity, you see a lot of defeated Christianity, a lot of people who have accepted mediocrity and apathy and spiritual defeat and doubt and just being enslaved by sinful patterns as completely normal. In fact, there are a lot of books and sermons and blogs and songs and music that really excuse that kind of defeated Christianity and treat it as normal. Other people walk away from Christianity altogether because their lives don't line up with the Christianity of the Bible and they don't know what to do with that discrepancy. So they choose to just walk away completely. One of the analogies that Eric uses is majesty that we see here in Colorado. We can look out our window and see the Purple Mountain Majesties. It's pretty spectacular. And we see the mountains from our Ellerslie campus and in the house we previously lived in, we had an unobstructed view of the Front Range. And it's really amazing to just look and see this incredible creation of God. But if you take away the mountains from Colorado, you pretty much have a flat, boring state. There's nothing that exciting about it without the mountains. And as Eric says, modern Christianity is like Colorado minus the mountains. It's lacking something very important, that majestic quality. And we have a dying world that tries to book trips to Christianity in order to take a glimpse of those legendary peaks touted in the Bible, but when they drive through the state, they just aren't seeing it. And this is a quote from something Eric wrote about this in our Set Apart magazine. He said, when I read the Bible, I hear a voice. It's a booming voice like the sound of a rushing waterfall or like the sound of a thousand peals of simultaneous thunder proclaiming, I am your God, bend the knee. In this sacred text, I see God's power. I witness his awesome faithfulness and I behold the rescuing and renovating strength of his his almighty hand. 
I stand in awe at the foot of the cross, and when I peer inside the empty tomb, I fall to my knees in stunned wonder, and I ask myself a question, what is the proper response to such a God as this? My honest answer to that significant question may sound strange within the quarters of the modern church system, because this Almighty God deserves our everything, our every moment, talent, penny, decision, thought, our every affection, and our every bit of trust. And when we don't offer God our everything, we lose the majesty that Christianity was meant to have. And when you look at the lives of Christian heroes, whether it's Hudson Taylor, C.T. Studd, Amy Carmichael, William Booth, Reese Howells, Charles Spurgeon, Leonard Ravenhill, Richard Wormbrandt, George Mueller, the list goes on and on and on. You see this glimpse of majesty, and each of these men and women, they really were not anything special, but they chose to give everything to their God. And because they didn't hold anything back, God worked through their lives in a victorious way so that you don't look at their lives and see defeat, you see majesty, you see victory. doesn't mean they were perfect or that they didn't have struggles, but you see something more often than what we see around us today. They all had one thing in common. They understood their weakness. They gave everything to Christ, and they had the motto that says, I can't, but only he can. Hudson Taylor specifically struggled to find that majestic Christianity. He saw it in the Bible, but he didn't see it in his own life. And then finally, he grasped the idea of Christ being his life, his everything, his all in all, giving everything to God. He called it the exchanged life, getting out of the way so that Christ could live his life in and through Hudson's life. And it was that decision that shaped Hudson Taylor into a man that altered the history of nations. There's a quote about him in his biography that says, whenever he spoke in meetings after that, a new power seemed to flow from him. And in the practical things of life, a new peace possessed him. Troubles did not worry him as before. He cast everything on God in a new way and gave more time to prayer. Again, he referred to that occurrence in his life as the exchange life. He needed to give up his own life, lay it down, surrender it, and receive the life of God in its place. And that's what he did. And then he unlocked the door of his life, body, mind, will, emotions, hopes, and dreams, and invited the Spirit of God to come in and live his life in and through him. And what Hudson Taylor did is what all of us need to do if we want to return to that majestic, triumphant, victorious version of Christianity that God is calling us to. That is such a basic principle of the Christian life. We can't, but only he can. That is how we find the powerful and victorious version of Christianity that we see in history, that we see in scripture and in the lives of our spiritual heroes. When you have the attitude that majestic, victorious, triumphant Christianity is something we have to accomplish or we have to rise up to, you either end up with legalistic Christianity, which we're going to touch on in a future episode, or people who are so frustrated with living the Christian life that they either walk away from it or they act like defeat is the norm. And that's what we see very commonly in our churches today. I want to really dive deep into what it means to exchange defeated Christianity for victorious Christianity because I believe this is really what's missing from modern Christianity today. It's very easy for us to attend church, read our Bible, sing worship songs, even share Christ with others while covering up a secret bondage to sin and doubt and apathy and just being entrenched in selfishness. Defeated Christians are a lot more common today than victorious Christians. It's even gotten to the point where a lot of churches have redefined Christianity to be something like a journey of doubt and aimless searching rather than the procession 
vision of world-changing triumph that God intends it to be. You can see that in 2 Corinthians 2.14. A lot of worship services that I've been in have been filled with songs that say to God, I'm a mess, but you love me anyway. In fact, just turning on Christian radio, a lot of songs have that theme. Rather than songs that talk about the amazing transforming work he's done in our lives and is doing in our lives, a lot of times in Christian bookstores or in the Christian section of a bookstore, you'll see books that help Christians try to cope with their disillusionment and doubt towards God. A lot of modern Christian artists sing really angsty tunes about living sin-laden lives in the midst of God's unconditional love. And God does love us unconditionally. He doesn't intend to leave us enslaved and in bondage to sin. Christians who dare to say that they have found victory or they're pursuing victory in their spiritual life sometimes are even mocked by other believers. I remember a number of years ago reading a Christian book on relationships where the author mocked single Christian women that she'd met who said that God had given them peace and joy and contentment in their singleness. She said that she always walked away from those conversations rolling her eyes saying, oh, come on, knowing that these women were simply failing to be honest about how miserable they truly were. And that really took me off guard because I know so many Christian single women who truly are walking in peace and joy joy and contentment because of their relationship with Christ. It's not a false sense of, oh, I'm being spiritual about my singleness. It's really walking in victory, but she didn't believe victory in that area of life was even possible. And that's a common mentality that a lot of people have towards areas of our Christianity that seem to really be more prone to defeat than victory. So not only are many Christians living in defeat today, a lot of them are mocking and ridiculing or hindering the ones who aren't or who don't want to settle for that. And that reminds me of the words Jesus spoke to the Pharisees in Matthew 23, 13. You shut the door of the kingdom of heaven in people's faces, for you yourselves do not enter, nor do you let enter those who are trying to. And that is something I have seen many times over in the Christian world, especially just being in the publishing industry, where there's sort of a pressure not to encourage people to go after anything more in their Christianity, but to really excuse staying where we are and pitching our tent. And because there's such a widespread acceptance of defeat and bondage to sin among today's Christians, it can be really tempting to accept that as normal in our own lives. But the words of 1 John remind us, if we say that we have fellowship with him, meaning Christ, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. We can fool those around us into thinking we have a genuine and thriving, passionate relationship with God, but we can't fool him. If we proclaim to know Christ, but are walking in darkness and allowing sin to rule us, we are living a lie. Does this mean that if we have any sin in our lives, our Christianity is a joke? Because that's sometimes how you feel when you see the majestic version of Christianity that God is calling us to. It's like, oh, I'll never get there. My Christianity is so paltry compared to that. But walking in the light does not mean living in sinless perfection and never stumbling again. You can look at Philippians 3.12 for just a glimpse at that principle. It's when we are controlled by sin, whether that's openly or secretly, when we're in bondage to sin, that's when we haven't truly grasped the power of Christ in us, the hope of glory. We're letting darkness rather than light rule over us. We're not living that exchanged life where we let him take over and live his life in and through us. 
So it's easy today to come to the conclusion that the epic version of triumph and victory that we see in scripture are just poetic sounding larger than life ideals, like those inspirational posters that you might see at a doctor's office or at a gym. You might be emotionally motivated by those promises and standards you see in the Bible, but maybe you don't expect to live them out in everyday life, at least not consistently. But remember this, God does not give us instructions that he doesn't enable us to carry out. So if we're living defeated and sin-enslaved lives, it's not a problem with God. It's that we haven't tapped into the fullness of the gospel. He doesn't tease us by making promises to us that he doesn't intend to fulfill. And I feel like a lot of times when we're stuck in that place of defeat, we want to blame God or we want to lash out at the Bible and say, see, these promises aren't real. But the reality is we are not walking in that exchange life. We have not allowed the life of Christ to truly take over and do what we can never do in our own strength. So it's going to that place where we say, okay, God, you say it and it must be true. So I open myself up to that enabling power that you desire to give me, your grace to live in and through me a life I could never live on my own. And when we do that, we no longer just roll our eyes at the standards of the Bible because it's him living his life through us. He enables us to walk in victory. Instead of accepting defeat and mediocrity as normal, God can enable us to experience amazing victory, the victory of a supernaturally transformed life. He can enable us to exchange failure for faith and darkness for life. Oswald Chambers said, when you know what God has done for you, the power and tyranny of sin is gone. Again, that doesn't mean you never struggle or stumble, but you're not under the control of sin anymore. You've exchanged that control, and what controls you now is the Spirit of God. This amazing transformation of the exchange life cannot happen through even the very best of our human effort. It is only possible through the enabling power of God. We have to yield to his transforming work in our soul. As Oswald Chambers once wrote, when we deliberately choose to obey God, he will tax the remotest star and the last grain of sand to assist us with all his almighty power. That's exactly what happens when we say, okay, Lord, my life is no longer my own. I've been bought with the price. I submit myself completely to you for you to live in and through me the life that you have called me to live. So if you desire to be free from the control, the tyranny, the bondage of sin, and to put mediocre living aside and walk in the light, to walk in victory as he does, that is not only possible, but it is his desire and his purpose for your life. And that is a really wonderful promise to hang on to. This isn't something that we just desire. It's something he desires for us as well. So I want to share a few important principles to keep in mind as you begin to open your heart to that exchange life, that allowing him to take over and live his victorious life through you. First of all, know what you possess. Know what is yours when you come to Christ. When you come to the cross of Christ, it means so much more than believing that Christ died for your sins. It means exchanging all that you are for all that he is. It means being overtaken by his indwelling power, which supernaturally equips you to live a holy, triumphant, set-apart life that would be totally impossible on your own. When we grasp that mystery of Christ in us, the hope of glory, as it says in Colossians 1.27, that's when we grasp the secret to true set-apartness, to true majestic Christianity, victorious living. And it cannot be found by legalism or making a set of rules for ourselves. It's something God has to do in and through us. When the life and the spirit of Christ dwells in us, we have the power to be like Christ. It says that in 1 Peter 1, 15 through 16, we do not need to be enslaved to sin or helpless against the temptation. 
temptations of this world that come our way, we are set apart for him, not because of our own righteousness, but because we are clothed in his. Evan Hopkins had a great quote about this. Think about what we really possess. If Christ is in us, all power, all grace, all purity, all fullness, absolutely everything to make all grace abound toward us, in us, and through us are stored up in him who verily dwells within us. That is really a powerful promise. That is what we possess in Christ. Another practical is to make that exchange that we've been talking about for these past few minutes. A lot of believers resign themselves to the attitude that says, I'll always struggle with sin. I'll always be enslaved to sin. I shouldn't expect any victory this side of heaven. Maybe you read Paul's statement in Romans 7 where he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? And we think, well, if Paul couldn't overcome bondage to sin, then who am I to think that I'm any different? But the answer to Paul's question is presented clearly in the next sentence, who will deliver me from this body of death? I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's in Romans 7, 24 and 25. And he's basically saying that because of the work of the cross and the enabling grace of Christ that dwells within us, we have the power to reckon ourselves dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's in Romans 6, 11. Our old man, our old person, that sinful side of who we are has been crucified with Christ and we are free now to know longer serve sin, but to walk in the light as he is in the light. If you feel God's spirit gently calling you toward greater levels of victory and consecration to him, don't hide behind the excuse that says, I'll always be weak and sinful and defeated. I can't or shouldn't expect anything more because that logic is deadly and toxic to our spiritual lives. I love what Andrew Bonner says. It is more humbling for us to take what grace offers than to bewail our wants and our worthlessness. And that is very poignant and prevalent for today because we so often want to wallow in our lack and our worthlessness and our brokenness rather than just take what grace is offering. Just imagine if our worship services could be filled with Christians who understood this. No more wallowing in defeat and frustration and excusing away our doubt and disillusionment, but rejoicing and marveling at the triumphant, amazing, supernatural, victorious, soul-altering, enabling grace of God. Now, again, this is not about being perfect or living perfectly sinless lives. It's allowing the perfect one, Jesus Christ, to overtake our lives. There will be stumbles and mistakes, but when he is in control of our lives, when we enter into that exchange, those mistakes actually lead to victory and closeness to Jesus Christ. There's a great example from Corey Ten Boom's life, and I've shared this story before, but she had fallen into just the sin of selfishness and frustration towards Christians. And her own comfort was more important to her than leading others to Christ. This was something that she experienced when she was speaking at a youth event in a Latin American country. The next day, she was speaking at a prominent church with all of these people who had great respect for her, and she felt like she was supposed to confess her sin and tell them who the real Corey Ten Boom was, that she wasn't perfect, but that she struggled with sin just like they did. And as she shared the story, she said, Corey Ten Boom is a sinner, but she knows what to do with her sin, going to the cross of Christ, laying it at his feet, and allowing him to enable her to walk in victory. And that's where she left the audience, not like, hey, look how broken and sinful I am, but look at the victory of Jesus Christ. When we stumble, when we sin, we take our sin to him, we repent of it, and we allow him to purify us, and we can walk in victory through his enabling grace. I love how she handled that because she was honest about her sin and her mistakes, but also she was honest about the victory of her God. So 
here are a few final thoughts that I want to share with you. Not only is majestic Irish elk Christianity possible, it is God's heart and desire for modern Christianity. And it begins with you and me personally choosing and accepting his victory over our defeat, making that exchange to say, all that I have, all that I am belongs to him. Lord, overtake my life with your enabling grace. Live in and through me the life that I could never live on my own, the life you have called me to. Remember, it's not about what we can do. It's about what he can do through us. I believe if we grasped the reality of Christ in us, the hope of glory, we would soon see the return of majesty to Christianity today. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. If you'd like to go deeper into this exchange life, this set-apart life for Christ, I encourage you to visit us at setapart.org and look at the many resources that we have for you there. I pray you have a blessed and Christ-centered week.